Let's look to the Lord in prayer once again. Father, we would remember that from the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, that your name will be exalted among the nations. We would pray specifically for these two countries that have been placed in our bulletin today for the country of Gambia on the far west coast of West Africa. And I ask for those we know personally, some missionaries who are serving in that country, very thin, skinny country with a very interesting history, and yet the Muslims have come in and they have assimilated much of this land and Many are struggling to find their way and to be a testimony to the Lord, saving power of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there are still some who are coming to faith in Christ in that land. Even though it is not a very big country, even though there is not a great population. So he asked that those who are true believers would be faithful, even in the face of persecution, that we would remember to pray for those who persecute just as somebody must have prayed for the Apostle Paul. He was brought to his knees as the light shone down from heaven. You set your eternal love upon him and you made him a witness to the Gentiles. We are thankful that he was a witness, that he was a missionary going throughout at the time south, uh, southeast part of, of Asia Minor and then spreading all the way across to Rome. And it is because of that influence on in the churches that were established that I believe we see uh, the results of that having spread through Europe down through the last two millennium. And now we have been blessed here in America, a country to whom much has been given and of whom much will be required. I ask, Father, that as we continue to pray for the rest of the countries that you would be exalted them as well. We think of the news that has been taking place between Ukraine and Russia and, and, and even in the war that is there and now there's a threat of, uh, once again, of, of nuclear weapons being used. Lord, it doesn't matter whose finger is on the buttons, only you can allow that to take place. So we pray that we will not fear, and even if nuclear war should come in some form or facet, that, that we would still be faithful to whatever time of life that you give us here. Knowing that if our faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have nothing to fear, including death itself. So I ask that our faith and our trust and our hope would be found in the Lord Jesus Christ, not what's going on in the political realm or what's going on around the world or even here in our own country, but that we would be a witness, remembering 1 Peter 3.15, that we should be ready to give an answer to anybody who asks us of the reason of the hope that is in us, but with meekness and fear. Help us to remember several of us lived through the last Cold War and, and the things that were done and even in schools where there were, where there were uh, drills for nuclear bombs falling. And yet, Lord, again, we sometimes forget that you are in control. Like we learned in the book of Daniel this morning, Daniel chapter 4, you put Nebuchadnezzar out to pasture. You made this great king, the one who styled himself as king of kings. You made him to to eat grass like a cow. You caused his hair and his nails to grow out like the, like the feathers of a bird. And yet at the end of this, he lifted up his eyes and his reason returned unto him. Help us to be able to recognize that our reason is found in God alone and in his sovereign power we trust. We pray, Lord, this morning that you will be glorified in the message 
and that when we leave from here today that we will be able to say that we understand the purpose of the Ten Commandments just a little bit more. We ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Exodus chapter 20. Too often preachers run to the good news of the gospel and yet fail to tell the hearer why the gospel is needed. The reason that the gospel is needed is because of the depravity of the heart, the total depravity of the heart. You see, there is nothing about you and I that makes us desire God. Romans chapter 3 is very clear about that. That there is none who seeks after God, no, not one. And until we come to the point where the Holy Spirit sets His love upon us, there is nothing that we can do, there is nothing about us that desires to know the Lord Jesus Christ. More than one minister has noted, and the, the, the number of ministers who have said this is actually quite small. But more than one minister has noted that people have heard so much that God loves them with no exception that the wrath of God holds no fear for the average person. End of quote. You see, I think if we began to understand the wrath of God and the fact that it was because of the wrath of God that the Lord Jesus Christ came, the only begotten Son of the Father, that He was willing to come and give His life a ransom for many. But... We come and we think, well, God is love. God is love. God is love. God loves everybody. God is the Father of all. No, He is not. This is a heresy that has broached many church walls and many church doors, but God does not love all. God is, the, God is a God of wrath as we read from John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world. Yes, He did. But at the end of that chapter, verse 36, it says that, the wrath of God abides upon those who do not believe. And this is what we have to understand. This is why the message of the gospel is so important. But the problem is much more complex than simply fearing God. And that is due to the reality of the law that was given. First, it damned the soul because there was no keeping of the law except by the perfect God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Only when the demands of the law are proclaimed as the standard does the gospel become the perfect good news. You see, we can seek to obey the commands and as we said in our prayer at the beginning of the service, we said that James chapter 2 holds true. James 2 verse 10 says that if you have broken just one law, you have broken them all. And the question often becomes, well, how many sins does it take to make me a sinner? And most people will say one, or maybe they'll say ten or a hundred. And the reality is that it doesn't take any sins to make you a sinner. You are born a sinner. By your very nature, when we are born into this world, we are born to die. We are born dying. And because we are born dying, we have to find a standard that is above and beyond ourselves. But what if, what if the standard was what Mark Escalera wanted? The rest of you would have no hope. What if the standard was what you want or what you believe is important? Then the rest of us would have no hope. You see, the standard can't be based on somebody that is imperfect. 
The standard has to be on somebody who was able not only to fulfill the law, but to establish a law of his own that said there is a different standard. There is something, as we looked at last Sunday night, there is something better that has come, as we saw in the book of Hebrews. My friends, even a casual reading of Exodus chapter 20, though, should bring fear to your heart if you're not converted this morning or if you are not sure that you have eternal life. Because by reading this, and we get to the very first one, and if we were to take a test this morning, and we say, okay, we're going to go through every one of these, all ten of the commandments, and I want to find out whether you could actually pass them or not. So we get to the very first one. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. I'm sorry, you all just failed, and so did I. We don't even have to go any further than that. So therefore, according to James chapter 2, verse 10, we just violated all the commands of God. But your response might be, well, I've never killed anybody. I mean, that is no matter whether you're, you go to Germany or whether you go to LaGrange or whether you go over to China or whether you go over to, you were in the Philippines here recently, you go over to the Philippines, you talk to people, they have their own idea of what it means to be self-important. No matter where you go in the world, everybody has a standard. And the standard is always, well, I'm not as bad as that person. But Brother Jerry, the, the question isn't whether we're as bad as that other person. The question is, are we as holy as the one who gave the commands to begin with? Be ye holy, for I am holy. That's the standard. Nothing to do with you and I. You see, the reading of Exodus chapter 20 should not only bring fear, but it demands action because we have each broken this standard that God established. People ask, well, are there any absolutes? Are there any absolute morals? Are there any absolute truths? And contrary to what this, this woke culture wants you to believe and what you hear from the media and what you hear in the, in the education system and what you hear at work, yes, there is a standard and there is a moral absolute. I am God, you're not me. That's really what all of this boils down to. And yet, down through history, as one French philosopher once put it, God made man in his own image and now we have been trying to return the favor. You can't return the favor because you and I are not God. We will never be God. And contrary to the beliefs of some systems like the LDS, we can never become God. Yet too often we avoid the law. We even avoid the reading of the law because our comparison isn't God's comparison. It somehow makes us feel better about ourselves not to read these words because then we don't have to worry about comparing ourselves to God. We can just have in this mindset that we have, we can say, well, I'm not as bad as Brother Mike. <laughs> or Brother Mike is not as bad as Brother Jean-Paul. Brother Jean-Paul is not as bad as Mark or whatever, and you can just keep going on and on and on. And if that's not enough, we can say, well, we're not as bad as Hitler, Mussolini, Stalin. Here, here's the truth, the sad truth, the shocking truth. What should be a sobering truth to you 
If you die without the Lord Jesus Christ today as your personal Savior, having a personal relationship with him, having been forgiven of your sins, the hell that Adolf Hitler is in today and will be for all of eternity is the same hell you will find yourself in. There is no better hell for those, and I read a testimony this last week and I was watching a video about this testimony about a man named Jeffrey Dahmer. The young people won't have any clue who that is. Anybody here remember the name Jeffrey Dahmer? Okay. Now whether it's true or not, only eternity will reveal that. But let's talk about, uh, where's he at? Where's Brother Al? Brother Al, back over here. Talking about Nebuchadnezzar this morning. Nebuchadnezzar was a bad guy. And one of the things that we find, whether it's Nebuchadnezzar or Jeffrey Dahmer, if these men, and as Brother Al so rightly pointed out this morning, I hope that when we get to heaven, we are going to see Nebuchadnezzar. Of course, he's not going to be proud. He's going to be bound the same way that we will be before the throne of God. And if Jeffrey Dahmer, regardless of all of the things that he did, regardless of the cannibalism, regardless of the murders that he committed, if it truly is the case that during his life, the last few months that he lived on this earth, if he truly placed his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he will worship at the feet of the Savior the same heaven that you will be if you're saved. Now, I want to say that there are some here who may find that very disconcerting. You may say, well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. How in the world could he be in heaven? Because the standard is not you. The standard is Jesus Christ. God says here in Exodus chapter 20, have nothing above me, but the depravity of our heart says, well, at least I've never killed anybody. I've never, I've never murdered. I've never committed adultery. I've never, whatever it may be. So I'm not as bad as that person. I'm not as bad as my spouse. I'm not as bad as my colleagues. I'm not as bad as my whoever it may be fill in the blank. And you know what we do in our arrogance seeking to elevate our own standard of holiness, what we're doing is actually making a mockery of God and his demands. The commands were given not for the purpose of having or allowing you to have a restored fellowship with God because you can't keep them any more than I can. The reason for the commands and why they were given to the children of Israel was to simply show them how far removed they were from the holiness of God. But I want us to switch gears just a little bit and I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm chapter 19. Psalm chapter 19. And as we continue our introduction, I want us to look at the assurance of the commands this morning. The assurance of the commands. And in your bulletins this morning, you do have a handout there. You're welcome to fill in the blanks. Take that with you, and I hope that you will study it and be a Berean Christian. As the Bible says, the Bereans were more noble than those of Thessalonica, for they studied the scriptures daily to see whether those things are true or not. So I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to listen to the word of God and know that God's word is true let God be true and every man a liar. The assurance of the command, Psalm 19, verse 7 through verse 11. 
The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Do you get the impression that David really has a love for God's word here? I mean, there, there's, there's not just one word. I mean, he could have used the same word the whole time. I and mean, He could have said the commands. He could have said, the commands of the Lord are perfect. The commands of the Lord are right. The commands of the Lord are sure. But every one of these actually has a different representation of what we are to understand about God's word. But then he gets to verse 10. And he says, more to be desired are they than gold. Even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Now, I know that there are some of you that may not like honey. I've got a son who doesn't like honey. He calls it bee vomit. <laughs> but the rest of us like honey. And it is very sweet. Anybody here ever chewed a piece of honeycomb? I mean, isn't that just wonderful? I mean, you take a piece of honeycomb, pop that thing in your mouth, I mean, it just oozes out both sides, gets everywhere, your hands are sticky. I mean, it's worse than eating pancakes. Can you imagine it, what our lives would be like if we loved God's word so much that we found the reading of God's word to be sweeter than having a piece of honeycomb in our mouth? How would it change your lives? What difference would it make? Listen to some of these things that he says. Number one, it converts. The word here means to revive or to restore the soul. When you and I understand God's law, it allows us to see the full picture of the demands and what Christ did on our behalf. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, when he said, and he came to this earth, he said, I came not to save who? The righteous. I came to save sinners and to bring them to what repentance you see there are a lot of people who think they are saved they have never repented of their sins they have never made lord him lord of their lives they think that somehow in their their misunderstanding of scripture that they can say something or they can say a little prayer and somehow that changes their life and then they want to live any way they want to the Bible says that that's not the way that it works. Again, the standard is God sets the standard and you and I have to fulfill it. It doesn't matter whether you and I like it or not. Like the little saying that's been found on many bumper stickers and I've said this before. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. No. God said it, that settles it. Whether you choose to believe it or not. So when we understand God's law in this picture of the demands, the demands are perfection. Well, what does this perfection look like? Anybody here ever told a lie? Every hand better go up. Okay? You just violated God's standards. Anybody here ever, and you don't have to raise your hand on this one here, but if you've ever committed adultery, you say, well, no, I never have. Well, have you ever looked upon somebody and lusted after what you can't have. The Lord Jesus Christ says, 
You just violated my commands and you are deserving of hell. You say, well, I've never killed anybody. Lord Jesus Christ said, that's fine, talking to the religious Pharisees. And he says, I want you to understand that if you have even hated somebody, is there anybody that you hate? I was reading, I'm going through the book of Matthew right now in my devotions, and, and one of the verses that the Lord Jesus Christ speaks about, he says, you have heard it said, love your, or, or you, have, you have heard it said, be good to those. And he says, I'm going to go a little bit further. He says, I want you to love your enemies. Now I want to point something out. We haven't done this before, to my remembrance. But I want you to look over here on this wall. What do you see? What do you see? Somebody help me out. A map. A map. What, is that, what does that map represent? Does anybody know how many countries there are in the world? whole bunch somebody said there's 196 or 197 countries do you know how many people are in the world as of the end of this year the they say that we will be at 8 billion people and within the next eight years by the year 2030 this world will hold 10 billion people that's an awful lot of people but now let's drill down on some of these countries. What do you think of when you see China? What do you think of when you see Russia? What do you think of when you hear about the conflict between North and South Korea? Do you think Jesus himself said that I am to love my enemies? Or are we looking to reign death and destruction from above on the entire world. You see, I want you to consider this map because every time we get upset, every time we see what's going on in the world, every time we wonder whether there's going to be nuclear war, any time we wonder where, where the next war, there's, there's approximately 80 different conflicts that are going on in the world right now, all around the world. 80 different conflicts. Are we the same as the rest of the world? We who are Christians? We who are true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ? When was the last time we prayed for the North Korean president, Kim? When was the last time we prayed for Mr. Putin? When was the last time that we prayed for the Chinese president? That even if it takes God sending them out to pasture and literally having to eat grass like Nebuchadnezzar, that it will change the, the focus, the perspective of that country, and that people will come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, if we're going to follow God's word, that's the kind of Christian, true Christian, we need to be. I'm not saying that we don't be patriotic. I'm not saying that we don't take a stand and we don't defend our country. But I am sad when I see a lot of churches are so wrapped up in their patriotism that they get to the point that they're willing to send more bombs before they're willing to pray that God will send missionaries. Secondly, David says, the scriptures make wise the simple. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs 
Solomon writes in Proverbs chapter 1, the things of God, Paul reiterates this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, the things that are foolish, the things of God, the world sees as foolish. But God sees the wisdom of the world as being foolish. The things of God will confound the worldly wise. I don't expect you to go home and take a course on apologetics so that you can defend the faith to people who don't want to know Jesus Christ. You say, well, what if somebody comes up to you and they want to argue about the creation versus Big Bang? Ask them, what do you, who do you say Jesus is? You say, what does that have to do with creation or what does that have to do with evolution? Everything. Because the Lord Jesus Christ was there at the beginning. You see, the Holy Spirit brings wisdom to those who have no wisdom apart from the giver of wisdom. The only wisdom that you are, the true wisdom that you're going to have is because the Lord Jesus Christ has set his love upon you. The only true love you're going to be able to have for somebody else, the only way that we're going to be able to support missionaries and have a true desire to be able to see the gospel go out. When we talk about the boxes downstairs, the OCC boxes, we're going to be close to 400, maybe even over this year. That's wonderful. But it's going to be kind of hard to pray that God will bless those boxes and the ministry that goes out if they end up going to a country that we automatically hate because that's what our government tells us to do. Only God can give us the wisdom from his Holy Spirit that says not only do we have wisdom because of him, not only do we have love because of him, but we also have forgiveness because of him. Reading Proverbs is a great way to bring enlightenment to the searching heart. You want to understand what wisdom is all about, read that small book. David then says, thirdly, it rejoices the heart. This means to brighten up or to make merry. Anybody here ever seen the movie Christmas Carol? Bah humbug on the rest of you. No, I'm just kidding. I like the movie Christmas Carol. I like, I've read the book. I've, I've seen several different versions, probably every one that has ever come out on the Christmas Carol. And there's a point there where he actually goes over to his nephew's house and his wife. And so there's a little bit of interaction. I'm not going to spoil it if you've never seen it. But there's a point where his heart becomes quite merry and he his life brightens up because he recognizes what actually is important in life. And you can say, well, the law is an awful schoolmaster. How is it possible for it to rejoice the heart? I look at this, I stand up in the morning, I look in the mirror, and I say, Mark, you're just an absolute failure. You, you, you violated God's law again yesterday. And the reason is because I know the one who performed the great exchange. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, even after we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the standard is still not us. It is him. Philippians chapter 1. He who began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Anybody here ever feel like a failure? Okay, the rest of you aren't being honest. All right, anybody here ever feel like a failure? There we go. 
then place your faith in the only one who never was a failure. We look at Psalm 1, the principle that is found there. Blessed is the man or happy is the man who does not do what? Doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, doesn't stand in the way of sinners, and then doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful. You want to know what you need to do to, for your life to be happy? Follow the Bible. Psalm 1. Don't walk in that path. And whether it's young people or whether it's the, the, the college age student or whether it's those of us who are older or those of us who are retired, it doesn't matter what your age is, your standard has to be God's standard or you won't be happy in life. Again, it enlightens the eyes. I was doing some research on this, and there is in Nepal and a few other places something that is called mad honey. Anybody here familiar with it? Nobody's ever heard of mad honey? Well, you can't find it at Albertson, so don't go look. <laughs> mad honey is not... They're not 100% positive because there's such a small amount of it. They're not sure that it's actually addictive, but it is said to be extremely addictive. And some develop a tolerance to the effects either of the bee stings or of the honey that they consume and need to get more and more in order to have the same impact on their bodies. There have been reports of people becoming addicted to the honey and experiencing withdrawal symptoms when they stop using it. These symptoms can include anxiety, insomnia or sleeplessness, tremors and sweating because they don't eat the honey. The commands of God or the scriptures should be so addictive to us that we just have to get more. If we do not, we may well experience what can be known as psychological issues. You see, there are a lot of people and the first thing that they do is they resort to what they can find in a bottle from a doctor, from a psychologist or a psychiatrist. And I believe, I am convinced in reading the word of God, as 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 says, that the scriptures are good for all that pertains to life and godliness. That means that you don't have to live inside a bottle. That means that God's word is sufficient and if you spend time in God's word, not only will he reveal himself to you, but he'll show you what you need to do in order to be able to have a joy-filled life. Now, please don't misunderstand. I know that there are some people who need medical attention. I recognize that. But the statistics are actually that 60-something percent of Americans actually live out of a bottle every day of some kind. And yet we're supposed to be the number one Christian nation in the world. There's something amiss. David continues and he says that the word of God endures forever. This means to take one stand. If God's word is your standard, you will be able to stand firm when the trials of life come to assault you. Listen, if, if God's word, if God's people 
if the place where you worship together is not important to you during the easy times, when tough times come, you will run away. Guarantee it. David says that it warns the servants. The wording is actually that he lets himself learn and he is warned. Again, when we come to church, the purpose of church isn't to come to hear positive messages every time we show up. The purpose of of coming to church is to be able to hear instruction, to be able to hear edification, to be able to hear exhortation, to be able to say, how do I change this next week to become more like Jesus Christ? And then finally, David says here that it provides great reward to those who keep them. In our depraved state, we can't keep the commands of God, sadly. No man, unless and until he is drawn by the Holy Spirit of God to repentance, can ever hope to achieve the ability to obey the commands of God, much less do so with a willing heart. Nobody can. So there is a great reward. And when we come to the New Testament, we find these two commands that the Lord Jesus Christ gives. He says, number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second is likened to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we even following those? Let's, let's forget about the Ten Commandments for a moment. And let's actually go back to the first command that God himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, gave. Love me above all things. Is there anything in your life that you love more than you love God? Is there anything that you have to have in your life that has become a crutch to you? I'm speaking to you from experience, heartbreaking experience this morning. There are times that you are going to find in your life that you have to... I'm going to use my daughter. Where's my daughter? She's back here. As an example, if my daughter Hannah is still walking with crutches six months from now, some of you are going to say, why are you still walking with a crutch? Your leg isn't healed yet. Oh yeah, it's healed. I just like my crutches. And so then a year from now, when she turns 17, we're going to come back and she's going to be walking with canes instead of with crutches. And you're going to ask her, well, didn't your leg heal like a year ago? Well, yeah, but I just, I think I have to have these in order to be able to walk. And you know what's happening? The reason why churches are not filled, true Bible-believing churches, they're not filled because Christians like you and I, and I've been there way too many times, We are living in such a way that we have to have TV addictions. We have to have whatever it may be because we think that's what we have to have in order for life to work. You know what happens? The longer her leg goes, after a while she's going to stop using the crutches because her leg is going to have become stronger. The bones are going to have firmed up and cemented back together to the point where it's stronger than it was before. Listen, if you get into God's word and it becomes important to you the way that it should be, you will firm up. You will become a strong Christian. You will become a a mature Christian that doesn't have to be like 1 Peter chapter 2. As newborn babes desire the sincere miracle of the word, that you may grow thereby. There are too many Christians, there are too many of us in our life, and we're content with the milk. 
And what we need to be eating is the steak of the word. Well, we would be amiss not to talk about, secondly, the adversary of the commands. And this one is going to be a quick point. Number one, the adversary of the, com- of the commands. The evil one seeks to demean this word. Does anybody know roughly how long it takes to develop a habit? According to leading psychologists. Doug? 28 days. 28 days. Okay. I've heard 21 days. I've heard 28 days. I've heard two months, whatever it may be. So you can develop some kind of a habit if you do it every single day, do it at the same time every day, you will become, your body will adjust and it will actually adjust to that habit. You know it's not that way with the scriptures though. You have to purposefully renew your mind every single day because it is not the kind of habit that the world offers. You see, the world will get you involved in all kinds of stuff and you'll get up on day one and you'll say, okay, I'm going to read a passage of scripture. And so I turn and I read Psalm 19. And then day two, I read Psalm 19. And day three, I read Psalm 19. And you can get to day 28 and you'll think, yep, I've got this licked. And you'll wake up the next morning and at 7 o'clock in the morning you get ready to open your Bible and out of the clear blue you're going to get a phone call. You're going to get an email. You're going to be sitting there on your computer and something on Facebook is going to pop up. And you're going to get to the end of the day and you're going to think, oh man, I forgot to read Psalm 19. I'll get it tomorrow. The evil one doesn't want you to read the word of God. He wants you to trust in all the hocus pocus. That's why there's so many churches out there that you can go to. And and they'll say, well, God will speak to you in a vision. From the very beginning, the purpose of the evil one was to thwart the commands of God by bringing them into question. You see, when you're reading them and you read this verse and, and, and we get down to verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock, my redeemer. And the evil one sitting there and he's saying, uh, did God really say that? Did he really mean that? Not only does he seek to demean it, but he seeks to destroy it. The evil one, Satan, has no love for God and he has no love for the laws of God, even though they reveal the truth. And if he can seek to destroy the law, if he can seek to destroy the importance of the law in the minds of men and women, then he will temporarily succeed. But the truth is greater than he could ever be. Christ came to fulfill the law and he became not just the perfect law giver but the perfect law fulfiller. As perfect man, as perfect God, Christ proved that man could not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Here's the question you need to ask yourself. Do you want to hear God speak? Do you want want to know what God has to say to you? Read his word. If you want to hear God speak aloud, then read it aloud. What a great concept to be able to understand what God has to say in his word and know that it was written for you. 
Let me give you an illustration. When my wife and I were dating, some 33 years ago now, we met September, married in December, and my wife wrote twice as many letters to me as I did to her. But I can tell you that there are a certain group of people who will never have the privilege of reading those letters. You. (laughs) Because those letters were written for me. This is written for you. Because God loved you. Because he wants you to live a life of holiness. Because he wants to take you to be with himself. His word tells us that one day he is coming back. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming back. And he will find a bride who has made herself ready. Not a bride who has been sitting on a chair. Hoping that somehow the church will bless you. That's not what church is about. Church isn't about you. It's not about me. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ and coming together so that we can worship and then show to the rest of the world this is what eternity is going to be like. Finally, this morning, I want you to see the adoring of the commands. Two verses. Psalm 119, verse 97, and verse 163. Listen to what David says. Oh, how I love your law. You see, this this isn't just a general passing fancy. This isn't, oh, today I like coffee, tomorrow I like tea, the next day I like hot chocolate. This is much more than that. This is, oh, how I love your law. There's an exclamation here. And he says, not only do I love your law, but it is my meditation all the day. And yet you and I in the 21st century, we are so, we are so driven by social media. We'll sit there and we'll watch three-hour football games or baseball games. That's like watching paint dry. <laughs> but we'll watch that and we'll watch dozens of commercials, but can't spend five minutes with our Heavenly Father. What a shame. We talk about praying and desiring and wanting revival and I have to ask myself, do I really want revival? Do I really want things to change in my life? Do you really want things to change? You see, if that's really what we want, we're going to see change, not just in our own heart. Other people are going to see change in us. And then the world is going to start to say, hey, wait a minute, there's something going on over there at Yellowstone Baptist Church. We have got to go see what's going on. Because those people are changing. Look at verse 163. I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. Do you love God's law this morning? Do you love the commands that he has given because these commands are there to be able to keep our path straight? Let's go back one more time to Psalm 1. We mentioned this. And I'm going to conclude with these verses. Blessed is the man, Psalm 1, verse 1, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Listen, 
if we can get up and we can run through the day and we can spend eight hours at work and we can spend an hour driving and we can spend four or five hours watching the TV, is there any wonder why we're struggling when our hearts are not meditating on the love letter God's given to us? Don't get me wrong, I'm not, I don't do it perfectly. I'm not some super duper human Christian because I read my Bible every single day because there are some days I get up and I'll actually spend time studying the Word of God to be able to prepare for a message instead of simply reading God's Word to appreciate who He is and what He has done for me. He is like a tree. This man who is blessed or this woman who is blessed is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its, its fr- yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither and all that he does he prospers. But the wicked are not so. They are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish. Here's what I would encourage you to do today. I want you to go home and I want you to open up your Bible and I would encourage you to read Psalm 1 over and over and over again until you can come to this determination in your heart. I'm either a blessed man or I am a man who is under a curse. I'm either willing to meditate on God's word so that I am like a tree that is bringing forth fruit or I'm going to have to go and ask people maybe in my church or in my family do I portray Jesus Christ? Am I producing fruit? And when you come to that understanding you will come to an understanding of who God is. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is a great God. Our God is a wonderful God. Our God is also a forgiving God. Because if you do not find that you have been in that camp, then today can be the day of salvation for you. Let's pray. Father, As we have considered your word this morning in introducing the Ten Commandments, I am afraid that we are not always where we need to be. Every one of us today have violated the standard, and yet we can still come. As Revelation chapter 22 says, the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let him who is thirsty come and drink and Take of the water of life freely. If there is somebody here this morning who thinks that they have been able to keep the Ten Commandments and that you will weigh their good and their bad and hopefully the good will outweigh the bad, help them to see that they have already failed. But the standard that is given is the standard of perfect holiness. And because we could not do it, somebody stood in our place. The great exchange He gave his life for us. So that when the Father sees us, we now stand complete. We stand without any condemnation, as Romans 8 says. No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Lord, I am thankful for your love, for your word, 
for the conviction that comes from your word. Help us not to be worried about the one who gives the message as much as what the message is. I pray that you've been exalted and glorified today in everything that has been said and that has been done. And all God's people said, Amen. I invite you to stand one more time and we are going to sing one last little course. And I regularly do this and now I've lost my other piece of paper. I have no clue where I put it. Um, let me take a look here. 200. I believe it's... Nope. It's 23. I was thinking 223, but it's 23. God is so good. I hope that you can say that God is good this morning. After we sing this hymn, I would invite you to have a seat just for a moment. We're not going to give another message or anything, but I'm going to invite Colton and Ramona um, to come up. In fact, if you want to come up with your hymn books as well, you're not going to sing a special. I'll have you guys stand right down here for now. And uh, what we're going to do at the end of this, today is Colton's last Sunday. And uh, Colton is moving to Gillette. Um, I'm sure this is going to be quite a change for Ramona. Um, She's going to need a lot of comfort uh, during this time. But uh, we need to pray that God will use this time in Gillette uh, to bring Colton closer to himself. God can reach out no matter where we're at. And uh, it has been my privilege to be able to know Colton, uh, even despite the short jokes. Um, I have come to appreciate Colton. He is a very hard worker, and I'm sure he'll do well up there in Gillette. But I want... I want to encourage you, Colton. God will find you no matter where you go. And if you're a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, God will expect a certain standard from you. And you are called to be a testimony to the world around you. And my prayer is that you and I, as fellow believers, that we will keep Colton and Ramona and Haley in prayer, that God will be gracious to them. And because God is so good, we can recognize and say that we praise his name. When we finish with this song, if you would like to come up, I'm going to have them come to the front and... I'm going to put my hands on Ramona and Colton. And if you would like to join us at the front and be united in our prayer for Colton and for Ramona, we invite you to do so. I don't care whether this is your first time or whether you're a member here, but they need your prayers. We all need your prayers. Let's sing this little chorus together.